This is the Marketing Podcast Network. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, Tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. Stories influence, teach, and inspire us. But what about the storytellers who create them? Uncorking a Story profiles storytellers to uncover how their background and life experiences influence the stories they create. We learn what motivates them, their path to success, and what fuels them to keep creating. It all starts by asking one simple question. Where does your story begin? Welcome to Uncorking a Story. Now here's your host, Mike Carlin. Hello and welcome to Uncorking a Story. I'm your host, Mike Carlin, and today I'm excited to introduce you to Bill Potts. Bill is a motivational speaker, business leader, and community builder who has held executive roles at Ironman Group and Clearwater Marine Aquarium. He's a co-founder and managing director of marketing agency Remedy 365 and a lecturer at Tulane University. An Ironman triathlete and five-time cancer survivor, Bill is a longtime volunteer at his local homeless shelter and an advisory board member of the Halo House Foundation. He joins me today on Uncorking a Story to discuss his personal cancer journey and new book, Up for the Fight. Welcome to Uncorking a Story, Bill. Mike, thank you for having me on your amazing podcast. Well, I think, you know, you could you could reassess your uh, your word amazing at the end if you, if you care to, but... Um, right. Bill, uh, I do appreciate that, and I'm excited to have you here. But uh, as we begin, I'm, I'd like to begin uh, the same way every time with my with my guest, which is, where does your story as an author begin? Interestingly, it uh, started in September 17th of 2020. I woke up in the recovery room at Mayo Clinic in Jacksonville after having surgery to remove what was a really painful cancerous tumor below my right hip. And going into that surgery, I'd met with a group of people in the, in the surgical area before, and uh, we talked through things. I thought everything was going to be great. I woke up from that surgery, and I was having an emotional breakdown. And this is during the COVID time, so I'm in a recovery room by myself with this nurse from Mayo, Jen Green, and she came over and said, Bill, what's wrong? This wasn't like tears rolling down the face. This was full-fledged sobbing. And I told her that I wasn't sure I was up for the fight, that that surgery was removing uh, a, can a cancer that was the fourth time I'd had the lymphoma. I'd already had thyroid cancer. A couple months before I'd been diagnosed with prostate cancer, that six different cancers, and that I wasn't sure I was really up for the fight that was going to come ahead, that I knew what was going to happen. I was wrong, by the way, Mike. It was a lot uh, harder than I thought it was going to be and that perhaps it was time to throw in the towel. So she smartly got the pastor who had been in the room with me, Tanya, uh, before the surgery. And Tanya came over and said, hey, let's talk through this. And so I told her my story, the story about having three great kids, 
I've had an amazing career. Last 25 of my 25 years of my career all have been about doing good things, uh, making changes in people's lives and how happy I was with that. I just started my own marketing agency and uh, I'd had a great life. And uh, maybe, maybe, you know, maybe I was running out of runway. And so what we talked about is all the reasons why I should continue to fight. She told me her story, which was amazing, why she was dealing with uh, cancer patients at Mayo. It was unbelievable, the personal insight that I was able to get from her. But uh, I told her that I really, she reminded me I needed to fight for my family. I needed to fight for my friends. I needed to fight uh, for the work I was doing. And then she said, and also you need to fight to make God proud. So after an hour of conversation with Tanya, I had reconnected with the reasons why I needed to fight and I'd moved through giving up and I was fully supporting and had my heart behind fighting this cancer again. And she wrapped up the entire conversation and she looks me in the eye and she says, hey, Bill, you ought to turn your pain into purpose and write a book to help others. I looked her in the eye and I told her, sure, I'll do it. Now, I was coming off of fentanyl and all sorts of other drugs, so I had a reason not to uh, could, uh, stick to my commitment. But at our house, a deal's a deal, even if you're under the influence uh, when you say it. So I was lucky enough to find a publisher who believed in this book, which we identified as the opportunity in the marketplace is to do a book like what to expect when you're expecting, but for cancer. So the book that I wish somebody else had written that I could learn from when I went through and am going through this journey, I accidentally became an expert. And so this book is my chance to share all my learnings with other patients and their families and friends that are going through the battle to make it better for them. In the book, uh, I wrote it going through chemotherapy and page two publishing assigned an editor to me that was available when I was able to write uh, and really coached me through this process. And once we outlined the book, it was pretty easy to write. And we wrote it to a timeline in case I wasn't going to survive. And so I had this thing written about six months before it came out. And so I couldn't wait for it to come out. And the impact that this book has made on me has been actually quite surprising. There's a couple of things I didn't expect, and I don't know why, Mike, I didn't expect this to happen, but the book gives people hope. If I can be cancer five times, currently working on number six, and maybe if this is the first time for them, they're like, okay, uh, that it gives them hope and can inspire them. And what I also didn't expect is I didn't expect the amount of contact I have with people that read the book. I make it easy to find me. My email's in the book and social media, so it's easy to find me, and that's on purpose. But some of the feedback that I've received from people that have read this book give me give me goosebumps. Like I got a second opinion because you suggested it in the book and, and, and that saved my life. Um, and I have a lot of people I'm in touch with going through this journey because of the book and I'm learning from them and I'm inspired from that by them. 
And this became my purpose because of that comment from the Mayo pastor to push this, uh, this message out to help others. Yeah, I love that notion. And, and I'm going to thank you for it because it just gave me the title of the episode of Turning Pain into Purpose. Um, and, you know, kind of combining that with, you know, writing something that you wish you had access to, you know, when, when you were going through your, you know, your, your early stages in, in, in battling cancer. Because what you've done there is, you know, from a marketing standpoint, you, you, you found a white space opportunity. Yeah. And that's, that's what the key to publishing really is, is, you know, how many books are out there right now on, on just about anything, but the ability to, to find something that hasn't been addressed yet, you know, and I, and I love the way you phrased it too, sort of, um, you know, uh, what, what did you say was like chicken soup for the soul, but for no, cancer? Yeah, what, uh, my wife, uh, what's to expect when you're expecting, what do yeah, you expect, what to expect when, you're when you're expecting, expecting for yeah, cancer? Yeah. And it is truly cancer uncut yeah. and the publisher the, the the CEO, the publisher, really connected with this book, and and she called me one day, and she could look. I'm reading. I'm 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 reading this first draft, and I think you're a little bit light on the dying piece. I'm like, true. She goes, if you're going to do a book uh, to cancer patients for cancer patients and their families, you got to address it. I'm like, okay, okay, and so I did. That's the kind of insight I was getting from the publisher. Yeah, and and I'm really grateful for it. Because this book does not happen uh, without their insight. Uh, clearly, the title came up naturally, which was that's what the words that came out of my mouth, which is I'm not sure I'm up for the fight. And and now I am. But uh, yeah, identifying the white space, the gap in the marketplace, I'm a marketing guy like you. Uh, it it kind of laid itself out and, and made the book, uh, in, in essence, uh, easy to write because this is not about me. This, this is not about my journey. It's about what I learned from my journey that can help others. And, and, and that makes it different from a lot of the books that are out there. And it's a book that's not challenging the current medical system. It's, it's, it's not looking at, at other ways to beat cancer. I've been in the U.S. healthcare system you know, for over 20 years fighting it, and I'm still here. So obviously, I'm a big supporter of it, but I'm also a huge supporter. And I wouldn't be here if I, if I didn't know my own journey. Uh, on the on the cancer journey. So the big lesson from the book is own your journey. It's yours. And it, it's a little bit of a misconception that patients think that the medical care team owns your journey. But that's not true. It's your life. And this is analogous to all, to your entire life, but in particular, in, in this case, it's it saved my life. Yeah, you know, I was I was told that my thyroid cancer had come back a, a year after I'd gone through surgery to have it removed in this ugly radiation I went through and the doctor said, Hey, your, your, your cancer's back. And I'm like, that's gotta be almost impossible. This is a for-profit oncologist. I'm like, that doesn't make sense. And at that point I realized I needed to own my own journey. And I went and got a second opinion at MD Anderson. And they're like, dude, your, your thyroid cancer is not back. And we're not really sure you should have gone through that kind of massive radiation anyway, but you can't turn back the clock. We'll, we'll take care of you on that piece. And out of that, uh, we guess that kind of radiation, I, I get lymphoma. And so that's the second cancer. We'll never know for sure. But, you know, that decision to not get a second opinion early on still may kill me. And the decision to get a second opinion 
uh, after they told me my cancer was back has saved me so far. So uh, I, I continue to own my journey and get second opinions and, and challenge and engage and, in ways that I never would have done before. And if that's the only lesson people learn uh, from the book, um, then it's worth it. But, you know, I, I look at you and just, just knowing a, l- a little bit about you, you know, and the Iron Man thing, I think, mm. speaks for itself for, for yeah. anybody who knows, you know, what an Iron Man entails. When you were first faced with the initial diagnosis, which sounds like was thyroid cancer, mm-hmm. just walk me through the impact that had, you know, on, on your life and then the, the life of your family. It was relatively a minor impact. Yeah, I got sick when they told me I was in the doctor's office. I had to run to the bathroom because I did not expect that kind of news. And I hadn't really studied anything about the thyroid or thyroid cancer. My kids were young. They're all toddlers. I had a pretty busy job. I was working for a startup a software company, and and I just kind of went through the motions. It, it the, the kids weren't understanding it. I wasn't quite grasping it all myself. I in my mind, I knew there was a hundred percent chance I was going to beat it, and, and I did. It wasn't until two thousand eight when I was diagnosed with lymphoma the first time, which was stage three. It was pre advanced at that time. That that hit me of, oh my gosh, this is life-threatening and I need to reevaluate everything. And to that point, I kind of pushed it to the side. And, and in 2008, I really dialed up owning my journey. I really dialed up uh, taking care of my health better. I started getting my head and my heart in order in case something happened. Uh, the family started finally starting to understand what, was, what I was going through. And we kind of tightened up our relationships, started prioritizing time together. Uh, but this has evolved as my kids have grown up. My kids only know me with cancer. That's what they remember. So this is kind of their norm. And if you were to ask them, and uh, a couple of them write write a chapter in the book about what it's like to be the the uh, son or daughter of a cancer patient, give some pretty good insight in there. But if you ask any of them, they would say that we prioritize time together. We prioritize experience, not stuff. Um. And we appreciate each other. We tell each other we love each other all the time. My my son who lives in Boston, I speak with him every day. My daughter who lives in Boston, I speak with her not as frequently, but we're constantly texting and communicating. I've got a daughter that has stayed in the St. Pete area here in Florida, uh, and she likes to be near us. And it's in 2008, I think I would say that up until then, I was a little bit colorblind to lights. And it was like I put those special glasses on and all of a sudden I, I could see color and I saw life in such a, a different perspective. And, and even now it's, it's been so amazing because I see things I never saw before and I hear things I never heard before and I feel things I never felt before. I, I go outside and it's this, this cacophony of sound of birds and people and kids playing and I didn't hear that before. I was so focused on, on, on other things. I, I, I connect with people better. I, I, I see things and uh, relationships and people better. And, and I think in 2008, that really started changing. The cancer changed the trajectory of my life. And in that sense, it's been a blessing. I, I wish I hadn't had it. I mean, I've suffered way more than the average person, but 
the positive out of it is I, I, I see life so much better. I, uh, I appreciate you saying that. And I'll share my, um, uh, my older brother, I, I lost him this summer, um, Man. to cancer, to I'm lung sorry. cancer. And, um, he was diagnosed in August of 2020. So COVID, you know, COVID Man. is still a, I mean, it's early days with COVID, right? Man. Um, and that was, it was a huge curveball because he was not an unhealthy person. He was not Man. a smoker, you know, ate well, exercised regularly, did all the right things. Yet, you know, he gets this, you know, to call it a curveball is, is not to do it justice. But, um, but like you, huge changes, you know, he made some huge changes in his life where he really started to appreciate just the, like what we would call the little things in life. He wound up, uh, he owned two, um, two wine stores. He sold one of them and the other one, he, he hired somebody to manage full time so he could maximize the time he was able to spend with his family. He had two young kids. Um, at the time they were 10 and 13. Um, so he, you know, he he was able to spend, you know, three really good years with them after, after diagnosis. And he, but, but what I learned, and it was funny, this is, I I wrote his obituary and I was talking with, uh, with my sister-in-law about him. And I'm like, tell me some things about Greg that I might not know. Like as his brother, like I wouldn't, I wouldn't know. And she's like, yeah, he was fascinated by hummingbirds. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm like, really? And she said, yeah, he, you know, we have this garden in the backyard that he specifically built, you know, to, to help, you know, start, you know, poly- like a pollinator pathway in mm-hmm. the backyard to, to attract. And he would just sit outside and just wait for hummingbirds to come. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, this is the same guy that used to like hold my fist in front of my face and make me hit myself with it, you know, and to tell me not to, and then, and then make me to stop hitting myself. I'm like, I'm like, are we talking about the same guy? But you know what, what I learned, you know, through, th- through him was, Hey, uh, there are some really important things in life. And sometimes it takes, um, a, a big curveball to really understand that. Um, and it sounds like that, that, that happened for you as well. It did. And the repeat, and first of all, I'm sorry about your brother. Thank you. Uh, repeatedly having cancer is, continues to change my perspective and I continue to learn as I go. Yeah. I have this, this situation where I had to think about dying a, a few times and it's for sure. The thinking about dying has helped me learn how to live, but I get better as I go uh, and live in life uh, through these things. In 2008, uh, I'm, I'm different. In 2014, when it came back, I'm a different person than I was in, in 2019, uh, 2020. Now, 2023, you just continue to learn and, and gather wisdom as you go. And I think between 2008 and 2023, some of the lessons that I've learned was really how to spend my time and and particular things to say no to. And I mean, I worked hard in all those years, particularly when I was working for Ironman, I was traveling all over the world all the time. And there was a lot of time away from the family. The family understood all that. But as I get older and, and, and deal with cancer after cancer, 
Um, you know, I left Ironman to take a job where I didn't have to travel and I could be home every night. And uh, I got better as I went. Some people would say, maybe, Mike, I'm a slow learner, but at least I'm learning. Uh, I want to go back to this sort of dark night or afternoon of the soul, you know, in, in 2020 when, um, you know, you were questioning whether or not you you were up for the fight. And of course, you know, you mentioned speaking with um, the chaplain, Tanya, and her giving you some very, you know, valid reasons for staying in the fight. Um, I, I'm curious, though, did did you feel like at that point in your life that you had done everything you needed to do in this life at that moment uh when when i woke up from the surgery uh, i felt that an hour later i realized that i hadn't and reconnecting with the reasons why i needed to fight was also something i needed to grapple with as i went through the fight and so it was pretty rough. And so I had to remind myself every day why, because it's easy to forget. And if you forget, then it's easier to give up. And while attitude can't save you, it helps in the journey for the patient and also helps those uh, around you. So... I'm glad I had that conversation because not only did I recommit to fighting, but it reminded me to remind myself to keep remembering why, because this is something I'm going to have to continue to do for the rest of my life. And every day is a part of that fight. So every day I remind myself, because you know, I take a, I take a pill every morning to replace my missing thyroid. So I'm reminded of, of what I'm going through every day. So every day I'm like, okay, uh, get the most out of it, live in the present, eat right, exercise, spend time doing what you need to do, tell people you love them, talk to your family. And some, even though it was tough having that emotional breakdown, it was just what was needed. Yeah. And then of course you, you know, find it in you to, to write this book and it's really a gift to other people who, you know, are going or will be going through what you went through. Um, tell me about the writing journey and and finding, you know, the just the the strength and will to write, you know, particularly on those days when you're having treatment. And I know the 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 week or or you know a few days or a week after treatment, you know, um my brother didn't want to do anything except sleep. You know, he was very sick and, and I'm just curious how how you we're able to find it within you to, to produce this. Yeah. Like, like your brother, there was days and weeks I, I couldn't do anything except, uh, sleep. But uh, the answer to your question directly, what, what gave me the will to do it is that became my purpose because I knew if I, if I, if I could figure out how to get this book written, that it would change lives. I didn't expect it to save lives. That's the bonus. And my goal was to impact one person with this book in a positive way that helped them in their journey. And, and I wish I'd written the first draft that wasn't even finished yet. And a friend of mine called me and said, hey, one of, one of my good friends has given up his fight. Can you send him your manuscript? Which 
probably you shouldn't tell the publisher this, but I did. And he read it. And I just heard from him, uh, two, I heard from him yesterday. He, this, this, he, he started fighting, didn't give up and is doing fine right now. So I had the one, but my purpose then I still had to work and make some money and things. But if I felt like it, I defaulted to writing and I go back into the apartment. It became my solace from what I was going through, even though it's a hard topic to write about and it's a hard topic to talk about, but because of that sense of purpose, when I felt like it, I would write and, and a lot less TV, a lot less everything, because I just would get up and I'd tell my wife, I'm going to the garage apartment behind our house and I'll see you when I'm done writing. And I was so lucky to have an editor that was on a different time zone, three hours different. And she was always available if, if it was that week when I was able to write. And I was hard enough not to write, you know, the day or two before or after uh, chemo because I, I had I, I had a pretty good case of chemo brain. And so I'd have to be careful then. But what you wound up getting in that book is real time advice as I was going through it. And it makes it more authentic and more powerful. There's things I've learned uh, even uh, since I wrote the book that I'd put in version two, but this insight is really super helpful. Yeah, there, there's a lesson there for anyone who is looking to write a book. And a lot of my listeners are aspiring authors. And, um, you know, the uh, the lesson here is if if somebody who is going through some pretty intense cancer treatments can find the time to carve out and and get the pages in than just about anybody can and that's that's you know that's the key to to getting a book published is well you gotta you gotta write it first and really you know rule of thumb is 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 kind of hack away at it every single day um yeah now yeah of course, of course there's exceptions to that rule but um you it, know it it's true and it's true and so i learned so much from doing my Ironman that applied to writing the book. And so I, I did Ironman Texas three years after going through treatment and surgery for stage three lymphoma. And I had torn a ligament in my foot uh, four months before the race. I couldn't train running for a while. I was in a boot cast. I had a lot of reasons to give up, but I didn't because I I, I wanted to you know, prove to my kids that anything is possible, that no matter what thing bad happens to you, you, you can get stuff done if you apply yourself. But some of the things I learned that related to the book is, and also to the cancer journey was you break it into small steps. So I finished, I finished the bike ride at like I'd done a 2.4 mile swim, 112 mile bike ride, and I'm getting ready to start the marathon. The heat index is over hundred degrees and I still got to run a marathon. And a friend was in the, in the changing tent and he goes, are, are you going to be able to finish? Cause I mean, I was cooked and I said, yeah, I said, I got a plan like writing a book. I got a plan. And he goes, what's your plan? I'm going to, I said, I'm going to run one mile, 26 times. He goes, okay, I'm going to run to each aid station, load up on ice, water, drinks, whatever. And that's how I'm going to do the race. It's the same for writing a book. You write it one word at a time. But before I wrote it, the book, I had the plan. I knew the plan going into the race that, that, that I was going to get to the marathon pretty much wiped out. And I had to, I had to I'd run a marathon. Uh, I knew that I, I, I had the plan right and I had my nutrition right. So like writing a book, you, you got to have the plan written in advance. And I think the best thing 
for the book, getting the book done was getting an outline and getting the position in the marketplace and being really defined about what I was trying to accomplish. And that was literally not about me, but about helping others with what I've learned, walking through the cancer journey. And, and, and that's changed. And that's the same reason I was able to, to, to finish Ironman Texas is because I had clear purpose. I'm proven to my kids. That's all. My three kids that I can overcome all my challenges. And despite the fact that I was working 50, 60 hours a week, I was traveling all the time. I was able to find the time to train. I was able to find the time to get my bike fixed. You can create time if you really believe in it. And I created time. And I was able to find all that time that I needed to get all that stuff done, despite my crazy schedule. And it's the same way with the book. If you really are passionate about getting the book done, you'll find the time. And if you don't find the time, well, don't write the book. Doesn't mean it. it <laughs> nobody cares. Right. If, if, if you care, then you'll find the time. And I would, I'd fly places. I'd be any, anywhere in the world. I'd fly, I'd land, I'd, I'd, find, I'd find a gym, I'd run, I'd go outside, I'd get up, I'd get up at 5 a.m. and run. And I'd, I'd find, I'd swim, I'd put my kids to bed and, and, and I'd go swim. Like, like for an hour and a half. And I, I come back and it's late and I'm tired. And I still got to eat and I got to, I got to get some rest. I got to shower. I got to clean my stuff. And you know what? You never remember any of that. What you remember is crossing the finish line. What you remember is the book showing up on Amazon or you see it at Barnes and Noble. But what really makes an author uh, 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 shine is when somebody comments about it and said it meant something to them. I mean, you know that you read what seven or eight books you've written. Um, yeah. and what gives you the most joy, a positive feedback. Yeah. It's certainly not the royalties. I mean, no. that's, <laughs> yeah, you're going to make, you're going to make money. Don't write books. <laughs> you're not, you're not Unless doing you're... it for the, for the payday. That's for sure. Um, but no, yeah. If somebody says, Hey, look, I, I, I just read, you know, your ex so-and-so and it, you know, I really got a lot out of it or I really loved it or. You know, if it's you know the fiction stuff, you know, I, I didn't see that twist coming, and um, you know that that does it does mean the world because we all need encouragement, especially writers. You know, we're, we all have a quest for validation, I believe, which is maybe part of the reason why we 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 think we can write and put stuff out there that people want to read. Um, I I do love your comparison to training for the Ironman and and writing a book because, um. You know, if I don't care if you're training for a 5K, a 10K, a half marathon, marathon, ultra marathon, th there's a, a thousand starting lines you've got to cross before you can you know, eventually cross that that big finish line. Um, and with writing, it's it, it is every day. I mean, it is every sentence at a time um, and and having the outline you know, having an outline of where you want to take, you know, your, your story, whether it's fiction or nonfiction is akin to your training plan, you know, that, that you're gonna have to follow. And, and the, I think the greatest things about outlines are they are not handcuffs, you know, just like a planning, a training plan, you know, um, if, if you've got to do a, a 10 miler one day, but you know, it's 120 degrees outside, um, you can, you can change it, you know, you can, you can, uh, change on the fly. Yeah, Same go thing. to the gym. Go to the gym, or or mm -hmm. maybe you're hitting the pool that day. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but but and then with writing, like if let's say you, you're you've outlined your story, 
where you think you know where you're going, something will always come up and say, you know what, I think now that I know this character a little more, I'm using fiction as an example, um, you know, maybe it doesn't happen this way. I'm just going to pivot and, and do it a little differently. Um, yeah, so, you know, I, I always like to advise authors, there is, even when you have an outline, you've got flexibility to change things as, um, you know, as, as you need to. Yeah, it's interesting because I had written a children's book uh, before this book and the children's book, my, my objective was pretty simple. It's called Ruby and Lizzie, a raging river adventure. And my twins were at summer camp and I couldn't communicate with them except via email where you pay like a buck a piece to send them an email every day. So I decided that for the uh, two weeks that they were going to be there, I would write a chapter of a book every day and email it to them. And I left every chapter with a cliffhanger. So so my, 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 so they'd be reading it to their friends. Uh, they got it at lunch and every day they'd be waiting for the next chapter of this book. And so my objectives on that were pretty clear, which is I want to find it. I want to find it good. Uh, I'm going to self-publish it. I, I want to find as, as their idea because they like the story so much. And, and I want to find a good, a good artist uh, to, to draw the characters and I'll get it out. And I'm not worried about it other than making sure, you know, my kids have plenty of copies to give to their kids someday. And, and that was a fun one to write. This one about cancer, a whole different process because my objective was to make sure it showed up at every bookstore around the world, uh, to make sure the reach, uh, it reached as many cancer patients as it could, that we had a good uh, marketing plan behind it, a good publicist behind it, that we had everything right. Because for me, Everybody that gets that book, it has the potential to really change and improve their cancer journey. So I had to do it that way because I'm going to, the purpose is to reach as many people as we can with this message. And there's 1.8 million people a year is going up in the U.S. that are diagnosed with cancer. There's 18 million around the world. The market's pretty big. Uh, and so that sense of purpose on the second book, very different than the first. So you people that are listening that are authors, identify what's your purpose, right? If you just want to self-publish a book and say, I was an author and, and, and give it to your kids like, like I did, great. If, if you want to use it to leverage a consulting business or public speaking, great. And you can write the books to that. And I find that I hear from a lot of people that are like, hey, I'm going to write a book. I'm like, okay, okay, we'll do it. But if you don't have the defined purpose, it's going to be hard to find the time. Yeah. Any, any tips on how people can define their purpose? I mean, yours is pretty, you know, it almost defined itself. And of course you had some guidance from Tanya who was, you know, you know again, a turning, turning pain into purpose um, and, and wanting to help other people who were going through what, what you've gone through. Um, but, you know, not everybody is going to be facing or writing a book about, you know, fighting cancer. Any thoughts on, how people can can help find their purpose yeah i think it's it's a lot of introspection and i do think it's also talking to other people i mean my purpose for the book was clearly laid out by pastor tanya but when i talked with the publisher they really helped uh they really helped uh you know tighten the scope of what the book was going to be so talk to other authors uh talk to uh, uh publishers uh, talk to your friends uh, they, they can see it in you you might not see it in you, but they can help you. And uh, also be reasonable as to what that is. You know, if you want to be the next Jeffrey Archer or, or Ken Follett or Tom Clancy, that's great. You can become it, right? If you believe it, you can become it. But uh, just talk with others and be introspective and, and 
and and be practical uh, about what you want to do. I, I find a lot of people that want to write books and they wind up trying to write about themselves. And there's a lot of that stuff out there. And it's particularly in the cancer world. You know, I could write a book about it. I, I did I did an Ironman and beat cancer five times, but that, okay, that's been, that's been done. You also have to really look at what the marketplace is and see if your purpose fits within what people want to read. Yeah, that would, that, uh, that's, that's tricky too, right? You know, it's, um, not, not tricky, but that's important is, uh, really understanding, you know, what, what else is in the competitive set. And now we're getting into like marketing, you know, nerdiness, but understanding and showing a publisher importantly, that you understand the competitive set. Yeah. Um, what, what, what do you also- think about that? What do you think about that question? What's your answer? I, I'd be interested to hear finding your purpose and, and, and writing. My, you know, for me, it's something that I struggled with, you know, with my first book, I just wanted to write a book, you know, I just wanted to, to get something out there. I had a funny idea. Um, I thought it would be fun to toy with, and it took me three years to write, um, which is a long time for, you know, a 65,000 word book, uh, subsequent books were a lot quicker. Um, but as I, as I started to think about what I wanted to say, as an author and as a writer, I, I knew that I, I knew that I um, wanted to, you know, touch people on a deeper level with mm-hmm. my writing, even though I, I tend to write comedy and, and, you know, have some very comedic situations and very colorful characters. I always wanted there to be some kind of a theme underneath it, some kind of a, a bigger lesson kind of maybe hidden in disguise. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just, uh, yeah, almost like a, finding faith in culture, if you will, because yeah. um, I, I do have a, a, a pretty spiritual side to to myself. Yeah, um, so I wanted I wanted to find a way to weave in um, like this, this use my talent, right? This writing talent that I, I think I have. And maybe that's my ego talking. Um, but to, to share like a, a positive message even if that's somewhat hidden in fiction and then mm-hmm. these crazy, you know, crazy stories, but find a way to kind of weave that in there. And so that's what I, I started to think about. Um, and, and I approach each new writing project with that, with that in mind. And I'm currently working on something that was inspired by, you know, the events of the summer of losing my brother. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, this one's kind of all about, you know, working through grief and finding finding like these little lessons and gifts from from grief and 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 how we we work through it um it's it's not it's not an elevator pitch um uh it's it's not elevator pitchable yet um but but i'm working on it and that's kind of what my north star is though right so that's that's kind of where where I want to get to is, is, you know, through this character who's gone through something that is, is really sad. And in, in this case, he, he's lost his wife, not his brother, but like what he eventually learns about himself and how he, he can go on and, and even have a, a fantastic, you know, life after, after this, this tragedy, tragedy happens. And, and believe it or not, there's, there, there's a comedy in there. So. That sounds like a pretty good elevator pitch to me. I'm sold on wanting to read that book. Well, I'm going to have to transcribe this this interview just so I can so I can use that as the basis for my elevator pitch. It's it's really good and also a nice way to honor your brother. 
Yeah. Yeah, he was a a great guy. And it's funny, it's I have been talking to my sister in law a lot. Yeah, it was their wedding anniversary. Last Sunday, not this Sunday, not yesterday, but a week before, I happened to be in in Los Angeles. I was spoke, speaking at a conference, and I called her. I'm sitting at a coffee bean and tea leaf, like blocks away from the Sunset Strip, mm-hmm. and you know it's cool. I see all these like long hair dudes walking around. It's kind of like you know, believe it or not, I love rock and roll with this haircut. But you know, if I if it were the '80s, I would have had a good time on the Sunset Strip. Well, plus your job, I mean, you got you got to look like that for your work. I'm sure if you were if you weren't working, you'd have nice long hair and a beard. That's- uh, well, I don't know about the beard. Like, if I try and grow this, out, I mean, this is eight days growth right here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yeah, definitely not a beard. <laughs> now, week fifteen, I look Amish at best. Yeah. You know, <laughs> okay. people are people ask me if I'm on rum springer and if I churn my own butter. You are uh, funny. But <laughs> I was sitting, I was sitting at this coffee bean and tea leaf, and I'm as I'm leaving her a message, I see this beautiful hummingbird just buzzing around these flowers. And I'm like, I'm like, and I, I stop, you know, talking to and leaving the message I was leaving. I'm like, hey, I just got to let you know. The minute I started leaving you this message, I see this hummingbird and it is just like floating around. And it's I've never seen a, a hummingbird on the Sunset Strip before. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. like, so, you know, I, I do believe that, you know, my brother does send me like these messages. And I, I, I've written about it. I wrote about it after that experience because it just hit me. And then, then I just kind of linking together like other things that I've just observed or noticed since he's, since he's passed away. And she and I have been comparing notes on that kind of stuff because if she's, she's receiving the same thing. So yeah, I, I certainly want to honor him, but, but you know, he, I do, I do believe that he is not gone. Yeah. You know, he's, Body might be gone, but mm-hmm. he's still hanging around. He's still, uh, he's still, you know, looking out. Yeah, he's reminding you. Sense a hummingbird. Yeah, what cool was that? And maybe one night I'll wake up in the middle of the night, and you know, his ghost will be holding my hand and hitting me in the face. You know, like, <laughs> yeah, like the old days. You know. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy! Well, we we've we went through a lot of a lot of territory here. We talked about you. We talked about me. I do want to talk about you just a little bit more as we wrap up, because I always like to, I always like to close with this question, which I call the, the sort of dear younger me question. So if, if you could, Bill, if you could write a letter to your younger self, what would you tell the younger Bill? Like what kind of words of encouragement would, would you give the younger Bill? Yeah, it's a great question. And, 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 and what I would tell him is to, to live more in the present. I think we've all learned this through the COVID pandemic that the future is not guaranteed. And by living in the present in that letter, I would say worry less uh, about uh, tomorrow and focus more on today. I would remind myself about living in the present to try to get those special glasses that help me to see in color earlier. I give myself a little bit of tip that uh, as you go through this journey of life and you have ups and you have downs, uh, don't forget to enjoy each day for what it is and try to find beauty in the mundane and try to see the goodness that is out there that previously I was having a hard time seeing because I was so wrapped up in being busy. 
Yeah. Excellent. Uh, excellent words of advice. Well, uh, Bill, where can people buy up for the fight? Yeah. Anywhere books are sold. If you're in the U.S., the easiest is on Amazon. You can also go to Barnes and Noble and find it. It's, yeah, it's available all over. All right. And if people want to connect with you, Bill, do you have a website or social media where people can, can stalk you on? Oh yeah. You get all of it at billcpots.com. All right. You can just email me at bill at billcpots.com. You can find me at, at billcpots on Facebook, Twitter, a TikTok and Instagram is Bill C Potts 93. That's my lucky number. My goal is to live to 93. So that's, uh, by the way, signed off on by my team at MD Anderson. They're committed and, and Mayo are committed to try to get me to age 93. So Bill C Potts 93 on Instagram and on TikTok, I'm most, mostly known as Pippa's dad. The best way I post about it is our sweet little cavalier, King Charles. <laughs> well, I'm sure that, that. That, that performs well. It seems like dancing and animals do well on TikTok. So yeah, she's a pretty cute dog. I've got a whole another series of uh, videos to post. My 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 kids encourage me to post about our dog because she really is pretty cute, and she's been my therapy dog uh, in jest, but also truthfully because she sat next to me for every word that was written. For some reason, she liked to hang out with me when I was writing, and so she sat uh, next to me the whole time. So. She's she's a pretty special dog for me. Very good. Well, Bill, thank you so much for stopping by Uncorking a Story and letting me uncork yours. Uh, thank you for having me, Mike. Thanks for listening to Uncorking a Story. If you'd like more information about today's guest or to find out more about Mike, go to uncorkingastory.com. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, rate, and review us at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Tune in every week to hear Mike Carlin uncork a new story.